Let's head to the kids' table. Pre-K four through third grade. Head there. The rest of you take your Bibles and turn to Amos chapter nine, verses five through fifteen. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're continuing our series on God's constant pursuit. This is our last message in Amos. Next week, we go to Jonah, and there are actually only two weeks in Jonah. may only be one week in Jonah. I'm going to be gone October 19th. We're taking a little uh, family getaway up to Arkansas, and uh, so we'll be gone on October 9th. Um, so I, Andy Buckley will be preaching that Sunday. I don't know what he's doing. He may do that Jonah passage. He may not, but uh, that's going to be between him and the Lord. I don't get in the middle of that. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll be in Jonah, and, uh, but the entire series is God's constant pursuit. This morning, grace greater than sin. It's, 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 Jonah, uh, it's, it's Amos's, he's positive finally. Woo! <laughs> we get to the end of the chapter, and, and he waited. It's like building the suspense. It's the, it's the, the, the wonderful climax to the book. To the, to the sermons, to all this stuff that he, uh, all the judgment that he talks about. And he's still going to talk about judgment. We're going to be talking about judgment again this morning. But there's hope. There's grace greater than sin. Some celebrations uh, this week. Uh, if you're in the, the Facebook members group, you saw this. But I'm going to brag about it again this morning. I know a few weeks ago I said I don't care about the money partially true. I still watch it though and like to celebrate it when it's good. And in August, we had income above expenses. That's a celebration for us because, yeah, um, that's, that's only happened six months in the last 32 months. Six out of 32 months, we've been positive. And if I went back further than, that's just the beginning of 2020, I think is what I looked at. I didn't even go back to 2016 the percentage would probably be worse if I went further back. It's just not happened very often. It is a positive. It's a good thing. Um, August was our first month that was the new normal spending with the, the new staff with no, uh, no extra coming out or anything like that. So it, it, it bodes well for the future that, that August was so good. It was, we were positive by about $2,500, so that's, that's even better. It wasn't 10 bucks. I'd, I'd take 10 bucks, don't get me wrong, but uh, um, September, I'm hopeful. It may not be quite as good because the way our pay periods work, two months out of the year, we have three pay periods. September is one of those months most times during the year, so we'll have three pay periods this month, so a little more comes out than normal, but hopefully if we're negative in September, we make it up in October, or maybe August was preparing us for September. Well, you know, it's, it, it's money, and we have to have it, but it ain't what I dwell on. Uh, as I've told you before, I'm not going anywhere until I absolutely have to, so this is a good thing. It's one more month. I get to stay. Um, yesterday, no, Friday, Thursday and Friday, we do a thing that we, we, we did this before the hurricane, uh, and then the hurricane kind of threw us for a loop. Well, pandemic actually messed us up more than anything else. We did a First Loves once a month. First Loves FLC, First Loves Fresh. And what that means is, usually the staff, two, three, or four of us, got out 
when, when FLC got out at the end of the day or when Frash gets out at, at the end of the day, and generally we just did the west side walkers for Frash, we handed out something. Um, usually it, it just, just little snacks is all we did. Um, this past week we did popsicles. Uh, we had you know, those little the flavor ice, with, you know, ain't nothing to them, but kids love them. That's, well, some adults apparently uh, love those things. We handed those out. We're doing that once a month. We're starting that back up again. Um, this next month, October, is it every other month? Okay, there we go. Um, November, we're going to do hot chocolate, I think we're trying to do. We're hoping it's cool enough for hot chocolate to, to give out. Anyway, we're starting this up again. We're going to do a better job of, of talking about it before it happens because we'd love to get some help. One of the things we realized this Friday is that there aren't nearly as many West Side walkers as there used to be. There used to be like 100 kids that came out on this side. Uh, I think our reconstruction, rebuild, pushed a lot of folks to the east side. Uh, they became east side walkers instead of west side walkers. You may not know that we had two sides of walkers, but we do. So we're going to try to hit both sides now. Um, so if you want to help us, did we, did we finalize this, doing it? Yeah, this week, this coming week, we're going to do the east side, either Thursday or Friday. Uh, probably Thursday, I think, was the day we, we kind of settled on. Um, we're going to do the east side walkers. It's at 3 o'clock. The popsicles go in one of those Gatorade things that they dump on coaches when they win. Um, they, we can fit like 150 in there. It, it's, it's very simple. You just hand them out. Somebody's there with scissors to snip the things into a little bucket for trash. It doesn't take long. We were done in three, three, four, five minutes, literally, it was that quick. Uh, take a little longer on the east side. If you'd like to help, this is where I'm trying to get. We only need two or three or four of you uh, to, to actually just even do it. You say, hey, I want to do the east side walkers. Here are your popsicles. We'll put them in the bucket for you, all that. Talk to us. Talk to one of us, me, uh, Etta, Chelsea. Uh, we're the ones here during the day on those days. Um, Christmas. Do y'all know Christmas is coming up? 13 Fridays left until Christmas is what I saw on Facebook the other day. Christmas Day this year is on Sunday. Last time that happened was 2017. It actually won't happen again until 2033. I think it's another 11 years before it happens again or something like that. So it'll be a while before it happens again. This time it, it's on Sunday again. Last time we moved Sunday morning service to Christmas Eve, and we didn't have any activities on Sunday morning. Actually, it's what I've done. I did it at my last church a couple of times, too. This year, we are going to do the same thing, except we're going to have a service on Sunday morning. Why are we going to do that, Michael, when you've done it this way in the past? You want the truth of it? Things are going really good right now. We don't have dissension in our church. We don't, we're not fighting about anything. There are no arguments. And I know not everybody really likes not having some sort of service on Sunday morning, especially Christmas Day. So I'm not going to drive a wedge. We're going to have a service on Sunday morning. For those of you that can make it, if you're traveling or if you're, you know, fine, we get it. Here's what we're going to do. No connect groups on Sunday morning. The service will start at 11 not 10.30, and we are going to flop 
the services. So our full Sunday morning service will actually be on Christmas Eve. We normally start at 4.30. We're going to start at 4 because it's going to be a longer service, and we know you want to get to wherever you're going Christmas Eve. So we're going to do that at 4 on Christmas Eve, full service. Uh, that night's message, I already know what I'm going to preach on, Genesis 3.15. Michael, you're preaching on Genesis for Christmas? I got news for you. I'm doing a whole series from creation to chapter 3 all through the Christmas season because that's our first mention of Jesus, Genesis 3.15, the heel that will crush the head of the serpent. So the night before, we celebrate the birth of the son, the birth of the seed that would crush the, the head of the serpent. We're going to talk about him. So anyway, that's that Sunday night. Sunday morning, I mean, sorry, it's Saturday night, Christmas Eve, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, what would normally be our Christmas Eve service, 11 to 11.30. If you're traveling right after and you're wearing your traveling clothes when you come, that's fine. If you do all of your Christmas morning stuff and you come in your pajamas at 11, that's fine. We're going to gather, we're going to worship, and we're going to uh, come together as a church family. So that's Christmas morning. I mean, Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, just wanted to, they'll, all that information will be out there more. I just want to tell you what we're, we're doing, what we're thinking about, what we're planning, and why. And then lastly, did y'all see this up here? This, look, for, yeah, give, give our praise team a hand, and give the Lord a hand for, I've said this before, and I can say it even more because now I'm not the worship leader anymore, thank you. Um, we have an incredibly talented church. To have 17 musicians and singers when we have... Yes, right, instrumentalists and singers. Sorry, I didn't mean to imply that singers weren't musicians. Um, to have 17 out of 120, that's... I'm not great at math, I think that's about 20%. Uh, of our congregation, and there are more of you out there, singers and instrumentalists, that, that have the ability. I love that right now, just because of the way we are, the choirs in the congregation. If you're normally a choir singer, now you're leading from the people next to you. But God has blessed our church. Trust me, there are churches a good bit larger than us that would love to have the kind of talent that we have on our stage. Uh, so God has blessed us there. God is, as, as Chelsea prayed earlier, God is doing some great things in our church. All right, enough of the, the celebrations and announcements. Our memory verse this week, this series, this, this half of the series. Ooh, we've got more blanks, but it's not... Shouldn't be too difficult. And you've got your cheat sheet. Uh, is somebody psting at me? Okay, when I hear that, I think Edda's trying to get me because I said something wrong. So, so if you're psting for someone in the congregation, pst, a little quieter so I don't hear it. Our memory verse. But let water flow like... Nope. Let, let, let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Amos 5, 24. I knew that. One more time so I can get it right. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream, Amos 5.24. All right. So if you haven't turned there, we're in Amos 9. 
verses 5 through 15. We've, we've seen a lot from Amos. We, we skipped. Last week's message was from chapter 5. This week's chapter 9. We skipped a lot of doom, doom, doom messages from Amos. But we skipped to another doom, 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 yay message from Amos. He gets us there at the end. But what have we seen so far? Eh, with all the doom and gloom, with all the judgment that, that he has preached on, we have seen and we know from our own history and we know from the New Testament that God promises never to leave nor forsake his people. Amos has made that clear. The New Testament makes that clear. We, we know that that is a promise that, that God has made. He's never going to leave us. Amos tells us that. I'm trying to get my tablet to, to do what it needs to. Can you go to the next? Th thank you, Pat. Secondly, what have we learned from Amos so far? There is judgment for those who aren't his people and discipline for those who are. Those are two different things, even though sometimes those things might look very similar. We get both. As judgment comes on the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and eventually the southern kingdom of Judah, faithful people will be wrapped up. There, there are unfaithful people. They are, they're, they're, there are people who weren't following God that are going to receive judgment. There are going to be followers of God who, who failed in their obligation to the Lord, and they're going to receive discipline, and there are going to be people who didn't fail in their obligation, followed the Lord as they should have, and they're going to get wrapped up in the discipline and the judgment too, which leads us to the third thing we've learned from Amos there is no promise of a life free from pain or hardship. Even pain and hardship as the result of the judgment or discipline of others. You may only be relationally adjacent to someone who is going through judgment or discipline. And yet you feel the pain of that. You, you may not experience the actual acts, but you still feel the pain. Sometimes, and we see with the people of Israel, we experience the very acts of judgment and or discipline. There are going to be a lot of faithful people, a lot of people faithful to the Lord, who either die or are carried off when Assyria attacks Israel. We know because Israel won't be left hardly at all. There will be a few, and we see that when we get to the end. There's no promise of a pain-free life. As a matter of fact, the promise is bigger than a pain-free life. The promise is grace. The promise is eternal. The promise is our big idea this morning. Through judgment and discipline, trial and tribulation... We have the hope of a restored future because of the grace of God and his promises. Through judgment and discipline, trial and tribulation, we have the hope of a restored future because of the grace of God and his promises. Grace 
greater than even our sin. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Amos chapter 9, verses 5 through 15. The Lord, the God of armies, he touches the earth. It melts, and all who dwell in it mourn. All of it rises like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. He builds his upper chambers in the heavens and lays the foundation of his vault on the earth. He summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Israelites, are you not like the Cushites to me? This is the Lord's declaration. Didn't I bring Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Arameans from Kir? Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am about to give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes a sieve, but not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake or confront us will die by the sword. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed, the mountain will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. I divided this passage up this morning into to three parts. Uh, the power of God, the punishment of God, and the promise of God. Or, to begin with, first, God can do what he said. God can do what he said. Verses 5 through 6. It's, an, it's the third song of God's power. It's the third time that Amos uh, either takes a, a worship song that they already sang or writes one of his own by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it's this song of how great our God is. We could have sung that song this morning, How Great Is Our God. We could have sung How Great Thou Art, and we would have been right there along with Amos in this passage. The, the phrase, the name he uses at the beginning in verse, uh, in verse 5, the Lord, the God of armies, that's a name of power. Uh, I, I believe it is Adonai, Yahweh, of hosts, of armies. He's using uh, a, a name of power, a name of covenant, and then just in case you didn't know, he commands the armies. Heavenly armies in this case, but all the ar- armies in his omnipotence. The power of God. He touches the earth and it melts. Now, Interesting, the phraseology he uses here. It's, it is believed that, that Amos is talking about an earthquake here. 
Um, uh, and and he, it, it, it has the, the, uh, the, the, some of the words when they are translated can, translated can go one way or the other. Uh, it can mean tremble or it can mean melts. Here's what's interesting about earthquake. Has anybody ever been through an earthquake here? You have, yo, some California folks, I know y'all have. I have not, not a big one. Uh, I, I think like one time there was a, over in Alabama, there was a boom when we lived in Fairhope. That was about the extent of it. Some pictures fell off people's walls. I don't remember it. But what I understand is that depending on where the earthquake happens, depending on the soil structure, if it's rocky versus uh, um, dirt, there's a word for what that is, but it's been a long time since I took any sort of geology class. When an earthquake happens, the dirt will flow. I mean, it starts moving like, like an ocean, like waves in, in the dirt. You can see it. I've seen pictures of the monstrous earthquake that hit in the 40s or 50s in Alaska. Uh, and in those areas, it was more dirt than rock and what it did to the roads and, and would lift roads 10, 12 feet in the air from the other side. That's what he is talking about. He's talking about the, the melting, not the heat, but it, it, it appears he's talking about what happens to the ground when an earthquake happens. But look what God does. He touches the earth. Just that mic stand never knew I touched it. Did, didn't doesn't vibrate, it doesn't doesn't move. I just I just touch it and nothing happens. And yet scripture says when God touches the earth, dirt becomes water. The ground moves like the Nile, he says. The, the ground rises like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. That's the power of God. He has just gotten through, uh, through Amos, telling them of some of the things he will do again. Beginning in, the, in chapter 9, uh, verse 1, strike the capitals of the pillars. The thresholds will shake. More earthquake terminology. They dig to Sheol, I'll get them there. It doesn't matter. If they hide on the top of Carmel, I'll get them there. Uh, they will be driven by their enemies into captivity, and from there, I'll kill them too. He is going to do this. Why? Because verses 5 and 6, he has the power to do it. Don't think, Israel, that he can't do what he says he can do, because God can do what he said. He builds his upper chambers in the heavens and lays the foundation of his vault on the earth. From as far as we can see to as far as we can see, that's all God's. We're in his basement. We're under his basement. We're the dirt under his basement. The top of his house we can't imagine. We're seeing further than we have ever seen in space thanks to the James Webb telescope. And yet, the, that's, that's just like the living room of God. We can't even see the bathroom and the guest room on the other side. We look up and we don't even see his attic. That's the power of our God. That's the power of the God that says... You better do what I say. You better live for me 
and not yourself. He summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. This is a a direct quotation of, I believe, a verse in chapter 5. He's he's saying it again. That he has control not not only over land, but over sea. And over the heavens, and over, he says in the beginning of chapter 9, shale itself. The bottom depths. Is this a God to be trifled with? The answer is no. God can do what he said. The Lord is his name. We're watching and we're praying for, we should be, our our friends, our brothers and sisters, our families in Florida because Ian looks like it's going to be a monstrosity of a hurricane by the time it hits Florida. Uh, it's jogged enough west that it's going to be out over the Gulf for a little while instead of crossing Cuba and the, the Straits of Florida or whatever it's called down there, and so it's going to be a, a mess for them. Not speaking to any sort of judgment on Florida, but what we see with a hurricane, what we saw with our own, is God taking the waters from the sea and pouring them out on the land. And that hurricane pales in comparison to the power of our God. God can do what he said. Next, we see that God is doing what he said. Or, as I said earlier, the punishment of God. It says, Israelites, are you not like the Cushites to me? And this has, though it's been used in the past, this has nothing to do with race. There are those who, would have, who did take this passage and say, oh, well, what he's saying is, are you not like black people and I don't like them as much as I like white people? Like literally, that's been the translation of this, the interpretation of this passage. That is, could not be further from the truth. Are you not like the Cushites? The Cushites were the furthest, the, 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 the people furthest away from Israel that they would have had dealings with. They, everybody else kind of lived around them. The Cushites would have been uh, currently Sudan, Ethiopia, south of Egypt. They, they lived way down the Nile River. So it's just an example of, look, I, I've got everybody under control. I know everything that's going on. You, you think the Cushites live, live a long way from you? You think they don't have much to do with, with what you're doing in your life? I am aware of them. You are just like them to me. I know what you're doing. I know what they're doing. I keep my eye on you. I keep my eye on them. Y'all are all made in my image. I'm keeping uh, my hand on all of you, keeping my thumb the, on, the, on the pulse of what's going on. Israel, you are special. He talked about this earlier. You are special, but you don't get treated differently. But actually, you do kind of get treated differently. Because you're special, your discipline, your punishment is greater. We have a verse for that. To whom much is given, much is required. That was Israel. That's why in chapter um, 
is it one or two or both? Yeah, chapters one and two, this nation over here going to get judged. This nation over here is going to get judged. And this one and this one and this one and this one. And everybody in Israel is sitting there going, mm-hmm, sure are, aren't they? Mm-hmm, sure are, aren't they? And then he gets to the end and says, oh, by the way, I spent a couple of verses on each of those countries. Let me give you ten about you, Israel. You're going to get punishment too, but it's going to be even worse. Worse because you think you're special. You're my special people. But to whom much is given, much is required. And at this moment, God is doing what he said he would do. They don't realize it. They don't know what's going on. But their destruction is in the works. Assyria is amassing people. They are growing. They're getting ready to start taking over some neighbors. And it won't be long before Assyria shows up at the gates of Samaria. He reminds them, Israel, you're just like the, you're, are you not like the Cushites to me? But he goes on to talk about others. I brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. But you know what? I brought the Philistines out of Kaftor. I brought the Arameans out of Kir. See, I brought people out of all kinds of places. I'm in control of all of these nations. You're just like them, but with greater expectation. Look, he says, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it. My eyes are on Israel. I, I know, you know what's going on in Cush. I know what's going on with the Philistines. I know what's going on with the Arameans. But my eyes are on you, Israel, because you are my people. You are the people who are supposed to be my representative, and yet you are not. And I will obliterate it. Obliterate it from the face of the earth. This is why I know faithful people, followers of God, were going to die. The Assyrians, when they came in, they didn't say, Now, are you a true follower of God, or have you just been going through some motions? Because I'm not going to kill you if you're a true follower of God. They didn't care. They, they were going to kill everybody they saw. Take back into slavery the ones that they wanted, and put into exile, and, and try to breed the Israelite out of them with the rest. Faithful people are going to fall. The country, Israel, the sinful nation will be obliterated from the face of the earth. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. Now, Amos, again, by the whole inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I get it. But he, he was great at des designing and crafting sermons. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Not everybody's going to be destroyed. And you get to thinking, oh, there's going to be some good news. Mm, this is the Lord's declaration. For I'm about to give the command and I will shake it, the house of Israel among all the nations. Like, Amos, you couldn't have spent a little longer on that part about not everybody being destroyed? That would have been really nice if you could have. He's, he's teasing them, but he's not giving away the farm yet. He says, I will shake Israel among all the nations, greater than, more earthquake imagery, greater than the rest of the nations. I'm going to pull them out, and I'm going to shake them the way someone shakes a sieve. But says not a pebble will fall to the ground. Lots of debate on exactly what this means. The best image here is when they would use the sieve with a, uh, a, a wider weave that would uh, allow the grains of, of, of uh, 
wheat or barley or whatever to fall and keep rocks and larger chunks of things in the sieve itself. So that what's good would fall out and what's bad would stay in the sieve. There are other ways to do it. You could have a sieve where uh, good things stayed and chaff and stuff falls out. That doesn't seem to be the image that God's using here through Amos. God says, I'm going to shake you and not one pebble is going to fall out. Meaning that not one who has defied me. Not one who has lived outside of my bounds, not one of the rich that oppressed the poor, not one of the judges who takes bribes and cheats the, uh, the, 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 the poor, the, not, not one who do, has done the things wrong, not one who has led Israel astray over all the year, these years, not one who has done this is going to survive, not one pebble will fall. If you don't believe me, he goes on. All the sinners among my people who say, disaster will never overtake us or, or confront us, they will die by the sword. Not one pebble will get away. Not one sinner will go unjudged. Not one who doesn't follow God will escape judgment. And we got a little foreshadowing here. God can do what he said. He has the power. God is doing what he said he will do. He's working on it right now. And lastly, God will do what he said. The promises of God. In that day, if I were directing a movie or a commercial or something, uh, some sort of scene to go with this. The, the previous verses would have been storms and earthquakes and, and, and clouds, and it would be black and lightning and all this stuff. And, and then when the narrator uh, gets to this verse, and, and of, of, of course it would be Morgan Freeman, um, gets to this verse, and he says, in that day. The scene would be, the clouds kind of begin to part. We see a, a sunrise. We don't know what day it is. We don't know how long in the future it's going to be. But in that day, that day that's coming, the day that will happen, the morning that will rise, the sun will come up tomorrow. Sometime in the future, but tomorrow... There'll be a sun. Huh. An S-O-N. Oh, shoot, I got ahead of myself. In that day, God will keep his promise. God will show up. I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its, union, its ruins, and rebuild it as the days of old. Is this talking about the cities? Eventually, to an extent, yes, but not really. To restore David is to send the Messiah. Israel, to this day, has never been what it was as far as any sort of Davidic dynasty or kingdom. The Israel that exists today started in 1948 by an act of the United Nations, basically. Well, not basically, it was. And it is still not 
a God-honoring, God-fearing nation. It is a political entity. It is not what it was. And between 1948 all the way back to 586 B.C., that's when Judah and Jerusalem fell, Uh, other than with a few fits and starts and spurts along the way, they never became a kingdom again, and they're still not. They are a political entity, but not a religious entity. This verse, this passage has not happened, but it will. God will do what he said. He will restore David by sending the Messiah. And what will come of that? Well, will become of that. Verse 12, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Edom is the the poster child for all the nations in chapters 1 and 2. Gaza, Damascus, Tyre. Verse 11 of chapter 1, Edom, the Ammonites, Moab, Judah, Israel, Edom. In that day, when the line of David is restored, all nations will become a part of my kingdom. We're all nations. You're all nations. We are part of that group. We are a remnant of Edom, so to speak. We will bear his name. Israel will live again. I will restore, verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel. As Etta prayed, we're Israel. We are grafted in, Scripture tells us. We're not from the tree of, 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 of Jesse, of David, of, of Abraham, but we were put into that tree. We were, I don't understand grafting. I know it works. People tell me it works. It didn't work when I was a kid because I shoved a stick in there and it didn't stick. But it works. You can graft in and, and create something different from what was. Israel is now all who are God's in Christ. He's telling Israel, one day I'm going to bring your king back. I'm going to bring the Davidic dynasty back. I'm going to bring a son of David and I'm going to put him out front. He's going to come in through the breach, the gates of Jerusalem, but not on a war horse, on a donkey, the the foal of a donkey. He says in the first 13, look, the days are coming. So what? We've got in that day, verse 13, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. It's the second time he said it in this passage, in 11 through 15. When the plowman will overtake the reaper, when the treader uh, will overtake the sower. Y'all know there are seasons for crops, right? There, there's a time that you plant and a time that you, you, you sow, you plow at a particular time, you plant at a particular time, you, you, you reap it at a particular time, then you have to wait a while and we start the cycle over again. 
And what he's saying here is when, when people are, are thinking they're going to be planting seeds, the harvest is going to be so good, they're still bringing in what they planted last year. The, the reaper is going to overtake the sower. Things are going to be so good that you never have want. Tell me if you're living that right now. Yeah, I didn't think so. We're not there yet. We've not come to that point. Physically. Uh, internationally. Geopolitically. But David's son has come. The king of the line of David has come. Sadly, many, many, many have missed it. But he's here. The fortunes have been restored. We have our Messiah. See, grace greater than sin is the the message title. Grace has always been greater than sin. God's grace has always been greater than sin. We go back through Israel's history, through Judah's history. They were never perfect. Right? I, I mean, we, we look at their history, there were always problems. We go back to the, the penultimate king, David, the one they all look back to. And, and I don't have the Bible memorized, but David had some issues. Uh, adultery, lust, murder, you know, some pretty big ones. What was the difference? Humility? When caught? Repentance? True repentance? And a return to the Lord? But they were never perfect. And God was gracious. David, around uh, 1,000 B.C., it took the Lord 300 years nearly to destroy the northern kingdom, 415 years to destroy the southern kingdom. Grace, in that case, mercy. Grace has always been greater than sin. When we look at our lives, we're not perfect. When we look at our lives, we as believers understand uh, we need some discipline. When discipline comes, we don't like it. We, we, we get a little uh, uh, huffy about it. Even David, when confronted by Nathan, initially told the story about the, the rich dude that killed the poor dude's one little lamb. Well, bring him here. I'll take care of him. He won't live to see tomorrow. Nathan, that's you, David. Oh, oh, then we get Psalm 51, I believe is the correct number, where David says, against you, Lord, have I sinned. He, had, he knew it. We know when we need the discipline. We know when 
God is going to discipline us. We know when the discipline comes that we deserve it. And yet, God is still gracious. Because we don't get what we fully deserve. Every one of us woke up this morning breathing. That's more than we deserve. Every one of us has the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And that's more than we deserve. Every one of us has access to grace that is greater than our sin. Why? Because God will do what he said. God said, I'm sending somebody. I'm sending one day, I will send someone to restore the fortunes of Israel that will be the, uh, the will restore the fall and the shelter of David. Jesus Christ, in the form of a baby, in the form of man, in, in, came and he, he lived the, the 33 years, perfect life. And he blew everybody's mind because he didn't fit any of the Messiah predictions except for all of them. But, 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 he wasn't, but that's not the Messiah we want. See, it wasn't the predictions, it was the desires. Yeah, we know about the suffering servant and all that, but let's just ignore Isaiah 53. And, and, and instead, we're going to get a powerful reigning king. You do. We, we do. We get a powerful reigning king that said, I'm going to do more than rebuild walls and, and make a kingdom. I'm going to tear down walls that separate you from God. Tear down the walls of separation between us and our Heavenly Father and between us and other brothers and sisters, other people. I'm going to do more than just pick, uh, fix some holes with some rocks. I'm going to show you grace. And as Amos looks forward, the days that are coming in verse 13, and to the land uh, that is fully planted and will never be uprooted in verse 15, and for our home that we will never be drawn from again, that we will never leave again, Amos sees what John tells us about in Revelation. permanent home, a place where we won't need grace anymore. We won't need grace anymore. There won't be any more sin. We'll be home. We'll be with our Savior. We'll be living in the kingdom led by the root of uh, Jesse, the branch that was going to come, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who reigns, the slaughtered lamb who reigns. One day we won't need grace anymore because Amos tells us everything will be made new. And look how Amos ends. The Lord your God has spoken. You notice anything that's missing? It's not the Lord, the God of armies anymore. The Lord of hosts, depending on your translation. If you've got a really old one, it may actually say Sabaoth in there for you. It's the same God, but at this point, it's God coming as an intimate 
loving Savior. Not the God of power bringing judgment and discipline, but God who is looking at his children and seeing on them the blood of Jesus and ushering them into a new kingdom, a kingdom of permanent hope, confident expectation, permanent joy, permanent relationship, permanent provision. God will do what he said. And we know that then, because he had always done what he said, but we know that now because he did what he said. The king of David's line came. He didn't just live those 30 years, he lived those 30 years perfectly. At the end of those 30 years, he began his ministry, and for, 30, or, and for three years, he taught, and he talked about the kingdom of God being at hand. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of David? Y'all, you're thinking too small. <laughs> Not a kingdom of David. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of the one who, the, the Lord, the God of armies, who touches the earth and it melts. That kingdom. David had to fight for his kingdom. David had to, and every king after him had to struggle. The one is coming who is going to bring a kingdom with no struggle. And there it sat in front of them for three years, boldly telling them, I am he who was told about in the scriptures. I am the one you need to follow. I am the one you needed you need to trust. God is standing before you, telling you to come and be a part of the kingdom. That grace is greater than your sin. That's the message today. Judgment is real. Discipline is real. Trial and hardship are real. They're temporary when measured against and defeated by the grace of Jesus Christ. There is grace greater than your sin today. Grace is available for you. You are a sinner. You are deserving of judgment, of punishment. And that judgment is death. The wages of sin is death. There's no getting around it. There's no avoiding it. You deserve it because you're a sinner. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are because you just lied. So now that we've gotten past that, you are a sinner. And you deserve death for that. The wages of your sin is death. But God did what he said. God kept his promise. The gift of God is eternal life. Mountains that drip with sweet wine, hills flow, restored fortunes, never again to be uprooted, eternal life, streets of gold, a home with the Lord, eternal life through the King. In Christ Jesus our Lord, through the one who can, the only one 
who can restore the fallen shelter of David. Every human king is going to fall short. But Jesus fulfills it all. And it is through him that we receive eternal life. This morning, you can have that eternal life. You have a next step to take. If you're an unbeliever, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Yes, you have some knowledge about him. Yes, you, you, you feel a, a, an affection for him. But there has never been a time when you have turned your life over to him. You can do that today by accepting salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no, no formula, no magic word, no, no potion, nothing that you can just do and that means it's done. But there is a moment when you no longer rely on yourself and you trust Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd like to know about that. We'll have an opportunity for you if you'd like to ask some questions. But I can tell you that what it does mean is a recognition of your sinfulness, a belief in Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, and a commitment of your life to him. Sometimes we pray a prayer, sometimes we word it a particular way. Again, no incantation, but a heart change. Maybe you need to follow in believer's baptism. You've trusted Jesus, but you've never been baptized scripturally as a believer. Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ. Maybe you're one of the ones that needs to hear the warning this morning of the discipline that's coming. Maybe there's no conforming to do. You're just wrapped up in somebody else's discipline, somebody else's judgment, and you need to submit to God on that and say, Lord, I'm praying for them, I'm praying for me. But use me in this situation. Maybe there's something else that you need to do. You need to join our church. You want to come and make that public this morning? I'll be over here to my right. I love to pray with you. Chelsea will be to my left. We'll have a couple of deacons in the back. Kirk and Lee would love to pray with you. You have options, opportunities this morning. Maybe you just want to come up to the stage and pray. Whatever your decision is this morning, I would love for you to share that with us, whether it's personally or if you'd like to share it on a connection card or if you're watching online and you want to share, uh, message us there, email us somehow, uh, well, through email, right? Uh, email us, let us know. Let us pray for you, let us pray with you, and let us pray now that God will move in this place. God, our Father, our Father, I thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. In the midst of judgment, in the midst of discipline, you still draw us to you. In, this, in the midst of what you were telling Israel with Amos, tell them all the horrible things that are going to happen, there was still opportunity right then for people to turn to you, return to you. And by grace, you would have accepted them. But Lord, most importantly, I thank you that you, you did what you said you would do, and you will do what you said you would do. You, you sent the king. You sent the one who would restore David's dynasty, the kingdom, the, rebuild his shelter, this flimsy kingdom, this flimsy nation that can rise and fall at a whim, you replace that with a kingdom of permanence led by a permanent king, Jesus Christ. 
Father, we thank you for that gift of grace. And I pray that if there's someone here this morning who has never trusted you as Savior, not even really sure they know what that means, that they would do it this morning, follow you, ask some questions. And there may be some that they know, they know what it means. They just never stepped out figuratively and literally to trust you. I pray that they would do it this morning. Other decisions that need to be made, I pray that you would work on our hearts. Whatever, whichever way you are leading any of us, God, may we hear you speak to us today. May we respond in faith, knowing that today is not the end, there is an eternity. And you are offering that kingdom to us today, your kingdom, through the shed blood of Jesus. May we respond in faith today as you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we stand, as we sing, may you respond in faith this morning to what God is doing on your heart as he speaks to you. Let's do business with him.